0: Oh, are we live? Good. Yeah, yeah. I think we just, the fresh king, we just went, went live. Fresh so, King. So, so yeah, the, the Fresh King Benjamin. Benjamin, yes. you were just telling us about uh, fundamentalist polygamy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I would call that like real OG Mormonism. Like uh, right. hardcore, not not the <laughs> Mormonism that y'all were doing. Yeah, you said we were um, doing
2: like the weak ass shit. And you. Yeah,
1: we, we <laughs> whole assed Mormonism.
2: This will not stand, sir. It, this will it, not it stand and we're talking about the fact that actually you've gone home country roads and you are really behind enemy lines you're back I'm, in the compound
1: I am deep yeah i'm I'm actually i'm I'm vacationing with my with my kids and we went we came back to the compound to just kind of hang out with my family and kind of an odd turn of circumstances within the last year I've sort of like kind of reconciled with with my with my family and sort of a it's still kind of it's still kind of new and, and fresh but we're we're now to a point where we're where we're friendly again. And, um, so I'm up, I'm up here kind of on, like, I was just showing you guys, this is my, this is my, uh, this is the background. This is my mom and my dad, their wedding picture. They got married in the Logan temple, um, before they, well, actually it was while they, they like joined the the polygamist cult while they were still members of the LDS church and they Mm -hmm. got married in the Logan temple and then they got excommunicated.
0: Man, that's, that's, uh. That's a life journey a life that journey. us Latter-day Saints generally don't experience, right? Like you.
1: Yeah, I kind of, I, I have sort of the benefit of, I've, I've hopped through a couple of different versions of, of Mormonism. So I'm a little bit of a cult connoisseur.
2: Yeah. What's it what's You're it definitely like a to... cafeteria Mormon.
1: Right. I like to just kind of sample, you know? Yeah,
2: you started with the spicy dishes first.
1: Right. I started hardcore and then I moved on to like the white bread version of Mormonism. So here's you what never, I don't get.
2: It's fresh King Benjamin. Do I call you fresh? Do I call you King? No, you can Do call, I call me. King. You, you your can highness? call me your highness. Yeah,
1: okay. you can call me Ben. What's it like to good? be
0: named after named after him? You know, after King Benjamin. King
1: Benjamin?
0: It, 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 well, I mean, look at you're doing the 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 comedy stuff now. That's what you that's, stage so that's you look kind out? of
1: why right is that's why I went with Fresh King Benjamin is that yeah. um I was named like I was named after I was named after King Benjamin. I was told like that Indy, wasn't your temple name. That, no, my temple name was Sam. Okay,
0: okay. gotcha.
1: Yeah, just, my temple yeah. name was Sam. So everyone, I tell that publicly because I just want anyone to be able to resurrect me. I don't care who it is. Like <laughs> man, woman, trans, I don't care. I just need, I'm just, right. I want to make sure that I get resurrected. So as many people as possible, I'm giving them the, the, the handshakes and my name so that I'm guaranteed <laughs> to come back.
0: Uh, yeah, and- We, we do have the handshakes, right? Like it is, there are the secret signs
1: on the, on the King Benjamin thing, right? Like the, the joke to me now is that I was, I'm, I was raised with this worldview, obviously King Benjamin sort of idolized. And then, um, and then I left, but I'm, I'm still like, I'm, when I started stand up comedy, I was like, I'm kind of doing the King Benjamin thing. Like I'm building a tower. I'm standing on a stage in front of people and I'm I'm prophesying. And so I'm kind of, uh, am I sort of shaking a lot? Sorry.
2: Yeah. Is there an earthquake going on there?
1: It's really just the, the, I'm just channeling the excitement in my body and I've got a laptop on my lap.
2: Well, that's where it's supposed to go. I think.
1: I think that's why it's called a laptop actually. That's why it's not like a chest top or an ass top. Um,
2: so if you're doing what King Benjamin's done before, what I don't get is what's fresh about you.
1: What's fresh about me is that, um, I, so I'm, I'm fresh to the world, right? So one of the things when, when you grow up in, in polygamy, right. You don't have a lot of access to, to like, you're even more sheltered than Mormons than LDS Mormons and LDS Mormons are super sheltered. So the, the fresh thing is that I just don't, I just don't know shit. Like I'm, I'm routinely like every time I'm in conversation with someone, someone will say something that I don't understand. Like, uh, like I listened to Nirvana for the first time, like six months ago,
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I tried, I tried the Great Dead. A few yeah. Years I
1: learned ago. I listened to Nirvana and then five minutes later I found out that Kurt Cobain killed himself. So, so it was how like did a make whole you feel? journey that I went on. It was really
2: sad. I kind of do, bummed me out. Do polygamists <laughs> not believe in having tables in their house? Uh they don't know. It's just that the tables are so big, so
1: there's not like a small table that I can that I can access. They're only big okay. tables.
2: Well, we'll make it work somehow. There's, By the way, I think we should announce to our audience that we just flipped this thing on without any intro. Yeah. So we're we're sitting down today with the Fresh King
0: Benjamin, uh, who is uh, an up and coming comedian, and I've uh, you know friends of yours, Ben, but watched the one hour stand up show that you did, and mm-hmm. really impressed, like un you Thanks. know unbiased, like it was amazing. And uh, I just thought it'd be fun to have you on and for us to kind of joke around. Um, Good share some humor about Mormonism because you come from this journey where you, uh, you were in a polygamous group and you had multiple moms and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, a lot of traumas and traumas that were different than the ones that we experienced over in the Latter-day Saint tradition. Yeah. And I thought it would be kind of cool to have a conversation and maybe also laugh at some of the stuff that happens to us. Cause I think that's what good comedy is about.
1: I think I think so, too. And I, I also think that like comedy comedy to me is one of the one of the most powerful weapons that I think that we have against the 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 cult of Mormonism, right? There's nothing like, and it's kind of funny that they like it's funny to me that the Book of Mormon and the temple, there's a lot of resistance in Mormonism to laughter, right? Yeah. It, they changed it, right. But we all used to make co- covenants in the temple to not engage in loud laughter. The Book of Mormon is constantly like criticizing people who are mocking, and I think that that's intentional. I think it's because if you approach Mormonism with through the lens of humor and comedy, it falls to pieces and it actually has no defense. There's no way that it can defend itself against people who can find it funny.
0: And and I gotta imagine
1: ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and I gotta imagine that avoiding loud laughter in a polygamous group is even harder. You've got more brothers and sisters around, and everybody's joking.
1: Right. It kind of, it kind of, uh, one of the things that's kind of funny to me is that even with that, that sort of resistance to, to laughter, polygamists are some of the funniest people I know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Cause you
1: kind of have to, right? Like you, when you, when you grow up, when you're, when your life is filled with a lot of trauma, you either, you either find things that are funny about it or you, or you sort of die.
0: Except for Brigham Young, who seemed to get away with being a little bit of a dry humorist.
1: Right. Brigham Young was by every definition. Um, and this is a technical term that I'm going to use an asshole.
0: (laughs) That's, that seems to be what the historical record says.
1: Yeah. Like there's no, I mean, this is a dude that would literally brag about like, I could get any woman that I want, but he had to have God as a wingman. Like, do you really have game if your only play is God told you to marry me?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's a, certainly a lot of those stories, isn't there? Where that's yeah. the way that God seems to work.
1: It to is. Have, it's surprising to have his to prophet how, do really
0: unhealthy things.
1: Yeah, it's kind of surprising to me how obsessed uh, Mormon God is with getting his prophets teenage. Yeah. <laughs> can I say <laughs>
2: okay, that?
1: Okay, Bill. Know, maybe Bill. Maybe we should yeah, I think it's time it. for a
2: belated disclaimer. Yeah, please. This is yeah, a family show, Freshy. Can with I call the, you Freshy?
0: Please. This is a family
2: show. Can we keep it like just to at least the PG-14 level? Yeah, that'll be good. PG-14.
1: I can do PG several months before her 15th birthday.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. (laughs) We'll go with that. Okay. By Um, the way, this is Bill's friend, not mine. I just want everybody out there to know that although you seem yeah, like a very I nice don't fellow know
1: who this other person is we've never interacted and he has no connection to me do not judge him based on me
0: <laughs> all right so perfect all right so just really quick um maven if we can put up on the screen um the link that i sent you with uh um, oh yeah we comedians. got an
2: issue that we want to bring up with you first because one of the finest uh mormon comedians has a certain take on who's funnier, religious people or non-religious people. And we wanted to play this clip for you to comment on.
1: Ooh, I'm excited.
2: Oop. That looks like it's still us. Yeah, give me a second. Okay. Here I go.
1: Religious people are far more humorous than non-religious people.
0: Right, because comedic legend George Carlin was a known theist. Now, Cardin honestly might not find George very funny, but the dude seems like the kind of guy who would wait days in line to get tickets to Brian Regan.
2: Okay, now, (laughs) FKB, I need to ask you. Oh, that's brutal. I need to ask you, uh, first off, is that true that That religious people are far more funny than non-religious people?
1: I think that post-religious people are probably the funniest people on earth. So I think that that's, I don't think that, I think that religious people are not funny. Yeah, I think it's not just because, because religious, this is, and this is the reason why religious people care more about the point than they do about the joke. Hmm. Right. And to be a, to be funny, to be a good comedian, you can have great points, but they have to be secondary. You have to, it's not about finding, it's not about making good points. It's about making things that are funny. And if you do have a point, if there is a point that you wanna make, make it a good joke first.
2: Hmm. Right. And it strikes me that as religious people, uh, generally there's a whole cartload of things that are off the table at the outset. Yeah, that they can't say. Yeah, you can't laugh at this.
1: There is there is something that there is something that like and I imagine that this guy what he would probably say is that he might say something like, well, you know, uh, people who are aren't religious, like they just they just go to like, like sexual stuff and and swearing and like that's and that that's not as funny. They're not as clever. Right. Mm, and yes. I think that there is I think there is something to that in that, like. Comedy is all about surprise, right? Comedy is about creating a an emotional response in people and. It's easy to do that if you say things that are shocking, right? So if you go to any open mic, you will hear some of the most shocking, sometimes horrific things uh, that you will ever hear in your life. And it's because they they think that if they can be shocking, then that that equals funny. And it doesn't. But that doesn't mean, but you want to have access to that, right? If there are things that you if there are things that you can't or won't say because you have some kind of religious conviction, then you might not make the joke that needs to be made when it needs to be made.
0: You know, and they use George Carlin, they're using George Carlin as an example and people have different taste for humor. Sure. So some folks are going to go like George Carlin. I don't think he's that great of a comedian. That's fine. The trouble is that there's a whole host of comedians behind George Carlin um, who who also tend to be post religious when you look at the higher quality comedians and so I think yeah. there is something about having to soften your jokes and there is that arena like Jim Gaffigan for instance is a very clean uh, humorist, uh, Fluffy Iglesias to an extent, yeah. at times. Bill Cosby. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, there, there's that. But yeah, Bill. A lot of comedians, <laughs> you have to be able to be able to go a little further down the line of being offensive to be able to be really funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean do that, that. that offensive things will be funny, right? And that's where a lot of new comics kind of they they kind of struggle for a little bit is that they think if I can just say something shocking and offensive, that will be funny. And it's not, right? Funny is funny, shocking is shocking, right? Something can be shocking and funny, but it's not it's not just like it's automatically that that way. But yeah, I think I think no. that, that I mean, really yeah. what that dude's trying to do, right? What he's trying to do is he's trying to justify why he is funny and he's just not.
2: Who are we talking about now?
1: The guy in that clip, the guy that's like, religious people are way more funny than non religious people. Like he's trying to justify his worldview by saying, Yeah, my because I'm religious, therefore I will be funnier than and that's just bullshit. No, you're not. You're I not have funny. I do to take to
2: issue me. with I've you. I don't yet. know if he's you're not, familiar with the body of Cardin Ellis's work but he is by far the funniest mormon that the church has ever produced
1: is he, that that, a, guy? that I don't even know who that dude is Cardin ellis is his name
0: yes yeah he, and uh he, he's joking
2: <laughs> okay <laughs> Can't so you tell? I, I've, I've that, that is his name
1: he, i think that does he do a podcast with i think i saw him talking with with another dude and they were talking about polygamy they were they yeah, were basically making the case that that polygamy is the reason why there weren't mass graves in Utah, like that's the justification.
0: Yeah, Brad Whitbeck.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's that's hilarious that they think that. Or, or quite see,
2: I told amazing. you he was the funniest Mormon the church has ever produced. So funny. I think he I'll just bet admitted that he it. He
1: could kill at conference.
2: I understand I, that he does a stand-up routine. I want to google him after this show and just just see the first thing that will come up is his arrest record. For real. <laughs> it does. If you Google image him, and it is the shot. first
1: result. He, oh, my God. He, what did he get arrested for? He tried to take a, a knife. knife onto an airplane. Yeah. It wasn't President what?
0: Nelson's flight of death either. It was
2: just. But a, here's the deal. Just okay, a normal was he form. trying
1: to like chop Laban's head off?
2: Ben, Ben, you have to understand. It was a joke.
1: Oh, that is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Making people feel unsafe in the airplane is after 9/11. Hysterical.
2: Yeah, after 9/11. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Post 9/11 weapons on a plane super funny.
2: Yeah, that's Yes, crazy. apparently the judge didn't get it. Judges not amused. I,
1: judges are famously not funny though. So, The, I, the judge does I not agree I, you know what? and he I'm tells "No what? I'm not the hashtag Stand with Grant
2: Ellis." Yeah, who's that? Cuz I don't even know Grant Ellis is. <laughs> Is that the guy? Who is this? He's a comedian? Grant Ellis. Cardin Ellis is who you meant. Cardinalis. Oh, Cardin I, I thought this Brian um, Whitbeck or whatever the guy's name yeah. was with the, the face at the end. Uh, is this a Christian comedian? Brian By Regan. the way, I do want to say that was Exmo Jesus, who's a personal friend of mine. Real name, I think I can say it.
1: Oh, my God. Exmo Jesus. I'm not Jesus. sure.
2: Exmo Jesus is the name of his TikTok channel. He does great stuff. He sent this to me. I'm sorry, I'm talking over you, but that's because I'm plugging. So just (laughs) zip the lip while I'm doing the promotional. Okay, we'll get right back to you. Seriously. Just, uh, you know, go milk the cows. Do some child labor and we'll get right back. It's, to
0: it's not the Amish. Are of them. It's,
2: it's just a polygamous belic- group. Well, he's, he's not like, like, They have no cows. He's,
1: he's right. He's right. We melt cows and we do child labor. He, he,
2: Absolutely. I watched your true. show. I watched your show. If, if we have a link to a show, don't we? Oh, I thought you were talking about Holmes County, Ohio. You're. We have a link to Ben's show. Don't we? Cause I watched it. That's why I know about the child labor and the cow milking.
0: Oh yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Let's show this. Thank you. Um, I don't. I don't want to go right to the beginning. Let's skip ahead a little bit, Maven. Yeah, because once again, like about
2: PG, like a few shy of 15, is what we're striving for tonight.
0: Yeah, along, a long further in.
2: Yeah, we'll get past the BJ material, which just like goes on and on and on. You have a love affair <laughs> with your microphone,
1: right? I, I have, I have. Look a at that pose right there. With, oh, that's great. Look how, look how, um, I'm like Peter Pan.
0: I'll, I'll tell you too. Like, um. Well done. Like the the quality of the show was great. You were fantastic. Um
1: It was a pretty magic night. This was my first time headlining. So it was my first yeah. time doing doing an hour, an hour of material. Yeah. And it was packed. So I sold the place out and the energy was it was it was pretty magical. Like there's I think that there's a lot of Mormons who are now ready to process their their Mormon trauma by laughing about it, which I think mm, is totally. probably the most powerful way to to do it.
2: Cause it's they say ridiculous. Laughter's the best medicine.
1: Like it's the, when you, when you actually look at Mormonism, it's so dumb. Like it, this, this is literally a religion that started because a dude looked at a rock in a hat.
2: Yeah. You say that like there's something wrong with it.
1: <laughs> there is actually, I actually have a rock right here. Do you? I often, I do right here. See, and I often look into, I often do this on stage and I'll just get revelation on stage weirdly, the only revelation that I ever get is that women
2: should marry me. Well, at least it's a consistent rock. Now I have my own rock as well, but when oh, I look God. at it, all I see is superheroes.
1: Oh, that's pretty rad. Oh, it's nice. Spider-Man rock. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Thank you. That's like, I, Double don't, Man. Ca- that, I can't I... tell you how long I've had the sitting over here waiting for a chance to use it. And tonight was the night.
1: <laughs> it was. It's, now, I'm, sometime... glad that, I'm glad that we could do that.
2: So we don't know who with this uh this Christian comedian eager Brian eager No, oh, Brian, Regan. Hey, Brian Regan. Brian, Brian Regan. Brian Regan, that's right.
1: Interestingly, Brian Regan so Brian Regan is not a Christian. He's not a Christian comic. He's a uh, he's he's more in the vein of like Jim Jim Gaffigan, which is uh he's a fairly secular comic but they they work clean. Which for a lot of people, for a lot of comics in the industry, working clean is a, is actually a really powerful choice Mm -hmm. because it Mm -hmm. it opens up some opportunities to you, right? Like if you are, if you want to do corporate stuff, if you want to do, um, you know, if you want to tour in certain venues, you kind of like, if you wanted to get on, like in, in Utah, there's a, there's dry bar comedy, which is a, which is huge. Like that has a huge reach. You have to, you have to work clean. So there's there's a there's a there's a case to be made for doing that as as a comic. And Brian Regan, int- funnily enough, Brian Regan is actually the very first uh, stand-up comic that I ever saw. Which was, and I saw him when I was like, uh, I saw a, a tape of him when I was like uh, eighteen or nineteen when I came when I left the compound to go to college. And that was my first introduction. That was the first time I'd ever seen or known that there was such a thing as stand-up comedy.
2: Let me ask yeah. a real ignorant question here, okay? But, you know, Wait. the Chinese have an old expression, I'd like to live by. And I've got to try to remember what the heck it was. Um, uh, to ask a question, I- I'm going to forget about this for life, and I'll see if I can come back to it. But you said you left the compound to go to college. Is yes. that normal? Is that standard operating procedure? No, no. I was a little
1: bit of an exception. My my parents, um, they felt like they needed a, or they wanted to have a, a like a lawyer in their family. Um, cause in addition to being polygamists, they're also, um, they have some pretty strong, like alt-right beliefs. And so they, they were like, we need to have a lawyer in the family who can protect us and also help defend the constitution from Satan. And so they, they were like, this one reads, let's send him to college. And, um, so I did. And then I just kind of, I kind of stayed away and I joined the LDS church for a little bit. That was like my diet cult it sort of weaned me off of the the more extreme versions of the cult. And then I left the LDS church in 2015.
0: Was there any part of you that, was there any part of you that thought as you were joining, leaving, you know, polygamy and going into mm -hmm. kind of mainstream Mormonism, was there any part of you that thought like, maybe this thing, maybe this thing is not true in almost the same way my thing isn't true?
1: Not, not at the time. Right. So when I, when I decide to go from the, so I was a member of what's called the AUB, which is the Apostolic United Brethren. Right. Right. Um, they're they're like the second or third largest polygamous group. Um, they're the only true one, though. Like they're the right one.
0: Right.
1: And yeah. um, obviously, right.
0: I've heard that and, message before.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, other people have made that claim before, but they're wrong.
0: Right. This one was but we, this is the one true
1: one. This is the one true one for sure. This one. This and one. Um, interestingly, I was actually prophesied. That I got my I got a I got a patriarchal blessing in the AUB. And like when I was 18 or 19, and they told me that I was going that my my prophetic destiny, the AUB, by the way, gives way better patriarchal blessings than the LDS church. The LDS church patriarchal blessings are pretty boilerplate, pretty boring, like the same five or six phrases are sort of recycled in the AUB. You get some real like intense prophecy and revelation. It's pretty exciting. Um, And I was told that my destiny was that I was going to unite the bring basically the bring the church back to the fold of the polygamists and unite them together into um, into the true religion, Um, which interestingly enough, I kind of did when I united them both under the banner of bullshit.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a revelation that came true.
1: There's a revelation that came true.
2: Yeah. What was it about standard Mormonism that attracted you into its membership and away from the AUB?
1: The, the, the big thing for me was, uh, that there were, there were aspects of the, of the AUB, there were aspects of, of the polygamist version that were sort of like personally abhorrent to me. One of the things that polygamy is basically, they, they keep the hand-me-downs of, of, uh, the, of the LDS church. So anytime the LDS church is like, we're not going to do that anymore. The polygamists are like, we're going to do that forever. And so they still have, uh, policies around like, um, blacks in the priesthood. They're, they're very, they're very racist. Um, and that always, that always rubbed me wrong. Cause I, 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 I was quite, I read a lot when I was a kid. So I knew about things like the civil rights movement. I knew about things like slavery in America and I could never really gel I could never really gel that with this idea that that was okay. And that was even God's will because of choice, like because they had been less valiant in the pre-existence, right? That always made me feel kind of sick inside. And so, Um, when I joined the LDS church, I was able to kind of keep a lot of the structures of the worldview. I was able to keep the book of Mormon. I was able to keep the idea of the restored gospel, Joseph Smith, a lot of sort of the pillars of the worldview and sort of let go of some of the more, uh, the more yucky stuff. Like I was able to let go of polygamy. I was able to let go of, of blacks in the priesthood and and sort of that stuff. Um, I just didn't realize that the, that even though that was less racist and less sexist, it still was racist and sexist, but it, but it just felt, it felt nicer. Yeah. So I, w- I felt like I could be a more compassionate, um, a more compassionate person in, in the LDS church until did you get until, your law uh, degree. I never did. No, no, no. I, I, um, I bailed on that. Yeah. I decided that that was not, that that was not my calling.
0: Right. Right. So it, then it didn't come to pass.
1: It did not. Unfortunately, yeah. probably because I was wicked. Um, yeah. I think that it had I had I stayed righteous, I probably would have gotten a law degree. But um, because I like, um, you know, and pussy, I unfortunately have not been able to keep myself clean and pure.
0: Yeah. So. Um, what's it like to have like three moms to live to live in? a space where like you've got all these kids running around, you've got multiple mothers, you kind of sense maybe not consciously, but sense that there's a lot of unhealthy things about patriarchy and sexism and
1: all that. Yeah. It's, it's not. So I, I think that every, I think that every, every child that grows up in polygamy, and I know this is a little bit of a blanket statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. I think that every child that grows up in, in Mormon polygamy, at least is a victim of abuse and neglect, simply because yeah. you cannot adequately care for children when you have 15 plus of them, right? When I, I remember when I had, so I have three kids, and when I had my very first kid, I, I remember having sort of this realization of like, oh, there's this child is going to require a lot of care and not just physical care, right? like. It's not just that I have to keep them fed and clothed. I have to be present in their lives. I have to be engaged in conversations with them. I have to be helping them emotionally regulate and that and that was something that I didn't get, right? What the what the experience that I had was I was I'm one of the oldest kids. I'm my mom's oldest and I'm the my dad's third kid. And so I was kind of on the top end and so I had, became sort of a surrogate parent to my younger to my younger siblings, right? And so that meant that I didn't get a lot of the, when you're a kid, you rely on by design, you rely on the emotional regulation of the adults around you to help you navigate your emotions, to help you soothe, to help you kind of process these big emotions that can come washing through you. And you don't get that when you have, when there are 15 kids, when there are 10 kids, when there are eight kids, you don't get that kind of care. Um, so there's that kind of dynamic. And that's a dynamic that I think exists even in Mormon, like in even in LDS families where there are just a lot of kids, even though there are maybe only two parents. And and then there's this additional thing when, with polygamy where um, there's, there's often jealousy and hard feelings between the wives that sort of get transferred onto the children. So the, because it's not kosher to be like if you're upset with, a, with, a, with your sister wife, it's generally not kosher to do anything about that or to really admit that or to kind of process that. And so a lot of that sort of gets stuffed and then it gets kind of transmitted onto the children. So yeah. one, of the, one, of, one of my dad's wives was, was quite, um, she was quite cruel to me. She was quite uh, just kind of had it out for me simply because I was sort of the punching bag for the anger and the frustration and the jealousy that she felt towards my mom wow.
2: but she couldn't she was couldn't the worst thing she did to you? there
1: um she she would like uh she once once she like grabbed me by grabbing by the face and forced my mouth open and shoved a spoon of cayenne pepper in my mouth
2: because i'd been did you say something been, you shouldn't have
1: yeah i said um i said something uh i don't even remember what i said but it was probably something i was probably saying something like why are you doing that weird thing
0: yeah um Yeah. Polygamy has its, its ills, which is that now you got sort of are also having to interact with people that are sort of a layer away from you. And there's no, there's not quite the same bond as family, right? Yeah. And so you have at times the trauma of somebody who is not your biological mom um, and doesn't care about you the same way, but is put in proximity with you
1: kind of in a position where they are that right. And, and actually, yeah. one of the things that and this is maybe a, a little bit unique to my situation, because my dad married two women at the same time. And then he had sort of kind of twins. So like, I have a brother who, from my other mom, who's, who's basically he's like 13 days older than me. But when we were very little, we would be kind of passed back and forth between mom and mom. And so I remember being pre verbal, and being uncertain about who my mom was. Like I kind of had like, there was like, there were like these two women and it wasn't quite clear to me which one, which one was, was mine. And so it it affected my ability to attach.
0: Yeah. I had the same problem with my dad, but it was different reasons. So.
2: So Ben, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about your dad? Cause uh, you mentioned him in your, your show, the one that I saw and that there had been Problems yeah. with the relationship, but maybe they were getting better. I don't know if your dad is there or how things are with your relationship with him now. Yeah. So he's he's here. Um uh so is this a good time to I'm, talk? I'm in sort of an interesting
1: I'm in sort of an interesting place with my relationship with my dad right now where where we've both expressed. I think I talk about it a little bit in the in the special, but I I I went through a, a phase where kind of my whole process with, with that was I separated from my family. I spent a lot of time away from them and I did a lot of, I did a lot of therapy. I did a lot of work on myself. And then I came back to them actually with a big old list of all of the things that they had done to hurt me. And I told, and I basically told them, Hey, like these are the things that I feel like you did that were, were wrong. These are, these are the ways that you hurt and damaged me. These are, these have been the consequences in my life because of those things. Um, and and I got an apology actually from all, all of my parents, which was a little bit surprising. Wow. Um, and, and then, then it was sort of like, we didn't talk for a while after that. And, and then I started to just feel like I, I, I wanted a dad, you know, like you, there's, there's something about having, having like a father energy in your life. And I felt like I didn't have that, right. I didn't have access to that. And, and he came to me, um, about a year ago, and kind of expressed that he was interested in being there for me outside of the context of religion. So he said, I want to be there. I know there are things that you're going to do that will will sort of, that I won't agree with, that I don't think are right, but I want to move past that and be available to you. And I said, I want you to to do that. And so now we're kind of in a space where, like, he doesn't always nail it. Sometimes he, Sometimes he's great, right? Sometimes he'll there will, I'll, I'll call on him for support and he's there and he can give me what I need. And sometimes I call on him for support and he can't, right. It's just, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the skills or he doesn't have the resources or he doesn't have the ability to. Um, So it's kind of a, but I I actually think that that's probably true of most people and most people's dads, right. Is that when you become an adult, you sort of have to navigate this adult relationship with your dad, where he, like my dad is the only dad that I'm ever going to have. And so I can't really like, I can, I can pretend like there's this ideal dad that I maybe could have and that I deserve or whatever. But the reality is, is that I only have one dad, it's him. And the only relationship that I'm ever going to have with a dad is going to be with him. And so, so I would describe it as we're working on that relationship.
0: Yeah. And that seems fair. I, I was thinking about like the trauma that happens in polygamy just to reference uh your uncle is Cody Brown from the Sister Wives show, yeah, and I, and I've never watched the show, so I don't say this in terms of him. But it, but knowing a little bit about him because I worked at Family Palm with the Bloxams, and they know Cody, that oh, I well, knew yeah. I knew that his his wives lived in proximity with him, and I, as I think about the trauma of not that this is true for them, because again I didn't watch the show, but when when a guy splits his time up with different women, those those women have to feel an immense amount of pressure to uh, be on their best behavior. Right. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and so here, you know, he goes to one house and he goes to the other house the next day and he goes to the other house the next day. There has to be an, an immense amount of difference in privilege for the man that goes to each home. Totally. Uh, right. And who uh, gets to sort of not be on his best behavior and the female has to be on her best behavior. She can't be the one out of the group who's complaining or having a bad experience. And so there's got to yeah. be a lot of pressure to put a face on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's you, you've, you've, you've probably seen the Netflix documentary, right? Keep sweet. That's, yeah, a that's little bit of it. Sweet, yeah. Right. Like keep, be sweet. be. And I will maybe just push back a little bit to kind of show that the, there's, there's a little, it's not that the man can be on his worst behavior because I think that there's different polygamy sucks. In in my experience, it sucks for everyone. It's not great for men and it's not great for women. And you've, I think really adequately, like that's a really great description of why polygamy sucks for women. I think the reason that polygamy sucks for men is that when you have multiple spouses, there is never anyone with whom you can be completely vulnerable. Yeah. Right. There is never anyone with whom you can share everything because you've got to, you've got to sort of compartmentalize and in fact, as a as a polygamist, like boy, I was kind of prepped for this, right? I was taught, hey, you're going to have to be able to keep secrets, to keep confidences among the wives, right? And so imagine what that does, like to to mm. sort of compartmentalize and sort of put part of yourself into this, really, and then part of yourself into that, and then part of yourself into that, and but nowhere are you a hundred percent yourself. And yeah. so polygamy for men, I think, is actually incredibly lonely.
0: Ooh. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Like I thought of it as being really heavy on the one side, um, but it's great to kind of at least share that, not that it's heavier or whatnot, but that it's, it's also heavy. It's on just a side.
1: different experience, right? As a, as a woman, <clears> you're sort of devalued. You're sort of put down a notch. You're, you're, you're expected to kind of just be, to keep sweet. Right. And as a man, like Think about, and this is actually, this isn't just polygamy, right? You can sort of extrapolate this idea to Mormonism more broadly, but the pressure to be the mouthpiece of God, right? The priesthood head, the one who knows when you don't, right? Life is so uncertain and nobody has like special access to God, but you're supposed to. And so you're kind of in this place of like, you almost have to pretend and be fake and and anyone who's ever been fake for any amount of time knows that that is psychologically draining, that that yeah. is damaging to your soul and that that really all we want is to be able to be ourselves and to be loved and accepted for who we really are. But who's doing yeah. that? Who is seeing a polygamist man in all of his frailty and all of his vulnerability and all of his, you know, worry and concern? No one. Yeah, except for Jesus. And Jesus doesn't talk back,
0: right? Yeah, totally. We're talking today with uh, the Fresh King Benjamin Ben Brown. Uh, he headlined the stand-up. Where was this at? Uh,
1: this was at uh, Wise Guys in uh, in West Jordan, in, in Utah.
0: And you said you sold out the house. I, I you can hear the applause. Yeah. I mean, everybody is just uh, having a great time. Um, I want to ask you how did you how did you get into uh, stand-up? Like, how did you
1: get to the point where you started telling jokes in front of people?
2: When did you first realize you were funny?
1: <laughs> well, um, I I first realized I was funny wh- when I was a kid. Right when I was a kid, I would I would I would I would always try to like get the laugh. Right, I'd always try to say the thing. I told my dad one time, like I don't if I have to make a choice tr- if I have to choose between saying something that's true and saying something that's funny. This is when I was like fourteen. I'm always going to say the thing that's funny, right? Because that that to me is actually more valuable. Um, the moment of getting like getting that laugh, getting someone to be like, ah, ha, 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 right? That's that to me is more valuable than having the truth, right? Whatever the fuck that is, um, and I didn't really know, like I said earlier, I didn't really know that stand-up comedy was a thing until I was about in my in my like late teens, early twenties. Yeah. And um, by the way,
2: excuse me, I need to wake Maven up because she's a uh, a little bit slow on the beep button. Yeah, Maven, are you there with us? You could. We need, a, we need a, we need like a five second delay with this show. She needs like yeah. a gong. Yeah. Maybe so, can yeah. you be Chuck Barris for us tonight. Brian Regan.
1: <laughs> Brian Regan. Yeah. And then, and then, um, I, what really kind of got me into the idea that maybe this was something that I could do is I, I started after I left the LDS church and I started doing therapy, I started kind of talking more about what had happened to my life. Right. And, um, I, I think that, uh, I, I, what I, what I found is that people were, were interested and that it, it was actually pretty easy to make them laugh about it. And so that kind of got me kind of thinking about it. And then about two years ago, I was like, I'll just go try an open mic. I'll just go give it a shot. And, um, and when I did, I killed, like it was my first time and it, it, it worked really well. And I was like, like and I was hooked. um, and I, you know, I would credit probably part of that is, is due to the fact that. Uh, I really like attention, because I didn't have any of it growing up. (laughs) And so the idea of having a whole room full of people that will just listen to whatever I say, uh, like it speaks to like a little baby Ben who just wanted someone to listen to him.
2: Mm. You know, it's almost axiomatic that humor is a sign of intelligence. So my question for you, Benjamin, is do you feel like you're an exception to that rule? I do actually, yeah. (laughs) I've
0: actually sat around.
2: No, you're obviously very intelligent. I kid. I kid because I love.
0: I was going to save you. I was going to if he left you to hang, I was coming to your rescue.
2: No, you're obviously very intelligent. Yeah. Oh, shucks. Well, you went to college. Did you get you got good grades too, didn't you? I did. I got good
1: grades. Um, I graduated valedictorian. Um, Holy cow.
2: You're really funny.
1: I am really funny and really smart (laughs) and really good too. And really brave and handsome. You're the funniest person in your class. Easily. (laughs) None of the rest of them are headlining standup. Nobody else, although I think I lost you. Can you guys hear me?
2: Yeah, we hear you. I'm sorry, what? Did you say something? (laughs) (laughs) He's not a dodo. You've read a few good books. (laughs) I've read (laughs) Gone to a good good school. (laughs) 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 I have the best Uh, words. So what is that on your hat? And why are Uh, you wearing one indoors?
1: Uh, cause my hair looks like this. It's kind of part of
2: your <laughs> stick, isn't it? To wear that hat?
1: The hat. So, so uh, do you, do you want to, the, the real truth is that, um, so I, I love the hat. this is like third eye. Right. Um, and I just love the artwork. I love the, 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 the lightning. Right. Um, so there's, there's that. I just love the, the, the look. Um, but it's also, there's a little bit of strategy around that, which is, I want to be instantly recognizable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if I'm on TikTok or if I'm on, if I'm on stage, I want people to be able to like really quickly be like, oh, I know who that guy is, right? I don't want them to to be, and as a, you know, looking like a standard white guy, need something to kind of set me off.
2: Yeah. You said something about dressing like a gay trucker. Yes.
1: Like Joseph Smith got resurrected as a gay trucker. I think that's what I look like.
2: Right, (laughs) Boom. See, I watched your show, (laughs) by the way. He is handsome though, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, there were actually
2: some things in your show that hour long thing I did laugh a couple of times. And what I wanted to say about it is that I found (laughs) I found that the things that I found the most amusing about what you uh, said came from your experience, your painful experience growing Mm -hmm. up. And this is also pretty much axiomatic. That's it seems that humor tends to come from suffering. Have -hmm. you found that to be the case? hundred percent, because I, I think that um, I think that humor
1: is humor is a transcendental value. Right. Humor is our if you think about what humor is in order to laugh at something, you have to be able to sort of rise above it. And and so with trauma, often um, you don't have a lot. One of the things that trauma does to you or one of the things that makes something traumatic is the lack of control right? So feeling like you don't have control or feeling like you lost control or feeling like control was sort of taken from you. And um, especially if you're in an environment where you don't have a lot of physical control over something, if you can find funny things about it, if you can laugh about it, it gives you control back.
2: Hmm. And what so does it's it actually, do when other people find it funny too? Maybe you've already addressed but, that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and if someone else finds it funny, then it just means that we're uh, that you're not alone, right?
2: Mm hmm.
1: Which is nice. It's nice. It's nice to feel like that was, I think, one of the mo- m- most magical things about that that night of the show is that, um, you know, suddenly there there was a room leaving leaving Mormonism is often a very. It's often a very solitary and lonely experience, right? Um, you sort of I, I, I know so many people who when they leave, they feel like they lose all of their connections. They sort of go through it by themselves. Yeah. And and if other people are laughing about that experience, that means that you're not alone, right? If someone else gets the joke, then that means that they've also experienced that. Maybe mm-hmm. not in the same way, maybe not to the same degree, maybe not the same flavor, but it, there's enough of a similarity. There's enough of a connection there that, they get to, that you get to feel like, oh, I'm actually not doing this by myself. There are other people who are on this journey with me. And that's almost an, enough just by itself.
0: I wanted to do a, I wanted to show you a couple of pictures.
1: I wish I could see them. My my screen went black though, so I actually can't see you guys right
0: now. Oh, I got you. Well, I was going to show you something. What do you think of these RFM? So this is what I think looks like Cheney and Hinkley and Monson and Bush doing the sacred handshake.
2: <sighs> oh yeah, right? I hate when that happens. I know, that's but, the, but that's the skull and bones handshake. I know, but it gets it gets way bigger, and this this. It gets
0: bigger. This conspiracy theory, it's oh. going to affect you. This is going to this is going to cause a problem. Let me see if I can find it here. Look at this, Spider Man. Spider
2: Man is in on it.
0: Spider well, Man's trying to
2: plug a. Uh, he's trying to plug up Ukhdorf's web shooters. Look at it's that. a defensive maneuver. It's very common in the. Super I'm just telling
0: you, the Marvel universe is not unaffected by the power and influence of Mormonism.
2: It's a strange thing because sometimes it just happens.
0: Yeah. What I, what I think probably is more likely is that an ex-Mormon dressed as Spider-Man has the one opportunity in the entire world to give Dieter Uchtdorf the temple yes. handshake in public and get away with it.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that person. That, that is a fucking good joke. Yeah. There's,
0: there's a guy who got away with something. Just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love him. That's, that's uh, awesome.
2: Could you see that or Marvel did you movie? just know the picture, Benjamin?
1: I'm I'm just imagining, I'm using my spiritual eyes to mm-hmm. see uh, the picture and I'm just reacting against, against that, you know?
2: Can As I talk to personally you personally about comedy right now?
1: Yes, please. <laughs>
2: okay. Because there's all sorts of different kinds of comedy, right? And Steve Allen was once on a committee of, you know, big comedians who seem to be of a certain generation. It's like most of them are all Jewish. You know, Milton Berle, I think Jack Benny was Jewish. Uh, obviously, Mil, uh, Mel Brooks. Uh, so just on, on the
1: context of me being fresh, you just named a whole bunch of names that I don't know who any of those people are.
2: I've are you kidding me? Henny Youngman? No, I'm, I'm... Nope. <laughs> Take my Book of Mormon, please. Nothing. Okay. I heard the crickets in the background there. So here's what I want to say. You
1: should email me the the things I should check out.
2: Um, Okay. We'll we'll do that later. Um, But regardless of that, uh, that also plays into this idea about humor coming from suffering and Jewish people certainly having done their share of suffering, if not more so. Um, But a lot of times I think humor comes from watching somebody see something that you haven't seen before seeing it from a new angle Mm -hmm. but in addition to that oh by the way this whole group that Steve Allen was part of because the whole idea was they got all these comedians together trying to figure out what is it that makes something funny and uh, they talked about how well it's the surprise right it's Mm -hmm. the surprise of the joke at the end that you didn't see coming and he says yeah that makes things funny but then he says well what do we do what you expect him to know Benny when he didn't know Nirvana oh that's a good point
0: (laughs) You're expecting a lot out of a, out of one of the lost boys like, like-
2: <laughs> okay well you have got a whole new world that's gonna open to you okay I uh, it has been opening and it's pretty ma- it's pretty magic and Steve Allen was great so anyway he had a show once he actually was uh anyway, never mind but this whole the, they finally decided that um uh well there's the surprise and he says yeah but what do you say about a Bill Cosby record that you listen to 14 times and you still laugh at right? It's not the Mm -hmm. surprise there. So it says there's all these things that go into being funny. And finally, they concluded that the one thing that made comedy not funny was trying to figure out what made comedy funny. (laughs) It's it's different things. But I also think, and this is kind of me, okay? And I wonder if it's you. Um, Sometimes people say that the thing they find amusing about me is that I will frequently, it's not that I'm saying something that they hadn't thought of. It's that I'm saying things that they had thought of, but that nobody in their right mind would say out loud. Yeah. What do you think yeah, about I think,
1: that? I think that I think that there is so <laughs> this like if you if you were to talk to most comics, I think they would they would probably they, they would not want this to be true, but I think it is true. I think that there is something really funny about giving voice to the thing that we're all thinking, but we're we're afraid to say, or we don't want to say, or we can't say it, or we can't articulate it, right? There's something about having the thing that's been sort of mulling around in your head said by someone else that makes you, that that is kind of surprising, right? That is kind of delightful. And um, and I think that that's why like, that's why I think comics sometimes get the reputation of, of truth tellers, even though we're all liars, right? We're all telling lies, it's because the lies that we tell are sort of true, right? We're mm-hmm. saying the thing that is true, even though it's not.
2: It's which funny is, because it's true.
1: It's funny because it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think it also
0: gives every comedian a chance to mix in some of their own shame. In other words, if I tell you 20 jokes and 18 of them are ironic things that I see, but I put them as if they're happened to me. Right. But then I, a couple of my jokes, I touch on things that actually I feel shame over. Mm-hmm. And right. And like, so I think there's a lot of times comedians, use stand up the good ones. Anyway, you stand up as a chance to kind of share their own thing. They're embarrassed to say.
1: Totally. And I, I think that I think that that sort of gives permission for people to feel that. Right. Because comedy isn't just about you can be one of the one of the things that I, I have a, a coach that's helped me a little bit in my in my comedy career. And one of the things that he said very early on that I connected with well is that comedy isn't just about it's not just about being funny. It's about having emotions and processing emotions in a funny way. So you'll see comics be angry. You'll see them be ashamed. You'll see them be afraid. But what they've done is they've taken this emotion that we all feel and that we can connect to, and then we've taken that and sort of brought it up and sort of acted it out in sort of a big way that sort of everyone can relate to, right? So we've all been embarrassed, ashamed, afraid, angry. We've all been all of those things. And we tend to kind of like not want to talk about that. We want to like keep those quiet. We want to hide those things. And a good comic can bring that part of themselves up and out and process it in a way that allows everyone to sort of laugh about that emotional experience so that we can sort of move it through the collective consciousness. And it's something that you can only do, by the way, as a comic, you can only do it if you have truly processed the Hmm. the emotion right so one of the things that a lot of new comics and i i did this too a lot of new comics will get in trouble where they will they'll the first time they'll talk about something the first time they'll process something will be on stage you should never do that right because that that is that's not comedy that's therapy right and those two things are not the same but if you've processed if you become at peace with that thing within yourself then you can be grounded and sort of home and you can take that emotional experience and share it in a way that i that i think allows everyone else to kind of feel like oh i felt something like that too and see how that person is is talking about it and we're all laughing about it oh i can feel okay about that now
0: yeah some of that too is just the absurdity of it right like the yeah. things that comedy is based in is these things that happen to us that never should have happened to us based on our expectations and so right. when the world does something out of the ordinary or somebody behaves out of the ordinary, it strikes us as absurd. And, and we try to come up with why we do that. And if you take some of those things to their extremes there, you can kind of turn it on its head and it becomes like really, really good humor.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that um, life is an, life is absurd. (laughs) right? The world, there is so much just crazy, absurd shit that happens. And there, there are, you can either kind of become nihilistic about that. You can sort of like be like, ah, that nothing matters. Right. Or you can make it funny, right? You can find the, you can find the funny in the, in the absurdity. And, you know, I, I think that that is, I think that's an incredibly brave and meaningful way to approach life. Because life is here, right? It is always going to be here, and if if your if your re- response to the absurdity is f that I don't want to engage in that. That's that nothing matters. That's a, that's you can have that response, right? That's an that's a legitimate way to respond to absurdity, but it's yeah. not a very fun way to respond to absurdity, right? There's a funner yeah. way to re- to respond to the absurdity of life, yeah. Which is what's funny about it.
0: Yeah, and I think I think humor especially good stand up does that. I mean, one of the things that I think you touched on are all these traumas that everyone else in the room has felt and also connect with some of the embarrassment that that folks feel. And so I think, you know, good comedians seem to have a way to show the audience like we're all going to be a little offended tonight and we're all going to have a lot of laughs tonight and I'm going to laugh at myself too.
1: Right. And fundamentally, this doesn't really like I don't want to say that that things don't matter because I actually I think that things really do matter, but nothing is as serious as we think it is. Right. We think that Mormonism is so serious. We think that life is so serious. We think that politics is so serious and the reality like when you actually zoom out of this, like if you just look at the world and everything that we take seriously in the world right now and you just zoom out like 30 light years you Mm. realize how absurd it is to take anything seriously yeah right In four billion years the earth will burn up by the sun yeah Yeah. so it doesn't really matter that much
0: yeah and yet my brain also tells me that i care about the people i care about and i care about the things that i care about and i can't help but spend that time being uh, being sort of an actor on a stage trying to bring to pass the good in the world that I want to do and to the people I want to care about. And so, yeah, it, it is kind of this ironic thing that is both things being true.
1: Well, and I love I love what you just said there, there, Bill, because I think that 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 really is what like being recognizing that we are actors, right? That we yeah. are because what do actors do? They play right. They pretend yeah this is all pretend. This yeah. is all play. We are all making believe together. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that can be really fun. Right. When we're kids, we do that all the time. And that's just our, we just effortlessly do that. And then we become adults and we start to take everything, like everything starts to become so important and so serious. And, and it's just not right. Like and and it is right. Like there's, they're both. It, that's the paradox yeah. of life, right? Is that things really yeah. do matter, right? The human condition matters. Human suffering matters, and mm. it doesn't.
0: <laughs> right. Both things are true.
2: Um, right. In, in some ways, I think religion can be seen as an effort to extend childhood. Oh, totally. Ooh. Who, yeah, did I mean, you that's... did
1: you come up
0: with that, or does does that? Do you remember that from somewhere? Rfm.
2: Uh, as far as I know, I just came up with it. My muse is working overtime. My my bosom burned right when you
1: said that, so I think that you just received revelation.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt the Holy We're Ghost. we feeling too. the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: That was really though. That was really wise. Like, that's that's true. Well, that was, well mean, I, I, mean, I know you, that is, when I
2: joined the church, I joined the church when I was eighteen, and I'd had to give up Santa Claus, and I did not go gently into that good night of not believing in Santa Claus yeah. anymore. And when I came to become a member of the LDS church out of high school, all of a sudden there were all these fantastic, miraculous, rather unlikely events that now I could mm. believe in again. And all the yeah. people who were older than I am and the general authorities who were way older than I am, they believed in it too.
0: I wanted magic yeah. to be true.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, mm. that is, that's so
1: good.
2: Like that's a really big good.
0: part of it.
1: And and I also think too that like on the on the far end of that, that is sort of the I think there's a way that that religion infantilizes you that can be problematic, right? Um, especially if you're surrendering your agency or your um your grasp on reality to another being. You should never do that, right? That's not the kind of childhood that we're talking about. But the other the 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 other side of that coin is that um we can believe in magic, right? We can believe in belief because everything that we are in our world is belief anyway, right? It's stories all the way down. We're all living in fabricated worlds that, uh, that are to some degree, you know, knock on wood are sort of connected, hopefully a little bit to reality, but none of us is experiencing reality directly. We're experiencing reality through the stories that we're telling about reality. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. It reminds go ahead. I'm just going to say uh, it reminds John, me of
2: John Sebastian said, "Do you believe in magic?" Surely you know who John Sebastian is. Me? No.
0: <laughs> Wasn't he like one of the guys behind the Muppets?
2: Uh no, this John Sebastian was uh, the lead uh, guy in The Lovin' Spoonful.
0: Lovin' the Lovin' Spoonful.
2: Do you believe in magic? I don't magic? know what that is either.
0: You believe the in in magic? Spoonful?
1: Boom baby. Is he like Mary Poppins? Like a spoonful. No, 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 no. No,
2: No, listen to Bill. He's, he's got it. Go ahead, Bill. You believe in magic
0: and I hope you do. And then I don't know the rest of it, but.
2: Well, you don't know it that far because it's any young girls, young girls heart, but that's okay. You got the tune. You got it. Bill, you're amazing. Now I got to be very, uh, just open. I'm going to be totally open with you. Okay. And I think it's a good time since we've got a record low number of people watching this live. Um, (laughs) And, and that's She's that's actually like what media, I did right there. OK, so here's media. the thing. I've already done this tonight and what I I've tried to be introspective about why it is that so many people think I'm an asshole and I think I'm a nice guy. Why does everybody think I'm an asshole? It's really quite a mystery. And so and then I started realizing and this is just recent that what I will do in a situation in order to be funny is I will immediately think, OK what would the worst person in the world say in this (laughs) situation? (laughs) And then I say it. Yeah. Yeah. And some people think it's funny. Other people think I'm an asshole. Some people think I'm both, but you know, and I just, I just go there and I say it and then I find that people find that amusing.
1: So So my problem is,
2: my problem is I'm starting to lose track of who the real me is. Am I the nice guy acting like the asshole or if I just totally become the asshole? I think you should just be the asshole. Like you're not the poop. You're the asshole. I feel like this is how the Trinity was originally created. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't consent. (laughs) (laughs) Lay off the sacrificial wine. (laughs) Anthony Campbell. Is that who's saying that Anthony Campbell, Rebecca, Biblioteca. Okay. And could that possibly be the sacramental wine you're talking about? The sacrificial ones. See, this is the another thing. People say Mormons going
0: to bring it back. I didn't want to make this prediction before, but I thought they were going to do it—the animal sacrifice thing. I thought, I thought we'll put that as one of the predictions. And but you know,
1: wait, Mormons are going to bring back animal sacrifice because I think no, I'm just, that. I'm just joking.
2: <laughs> no. Joseph Smith That did.
1: would be so awesome. Oh please, Allen <laughs> Oaks.
2: You we're already sacrificing that, huh? <laughs> families. Why not throw some dogs and cats <laughs> in? Right. why not some goats? This is what I think. <laughs> So, but I want to ask you because I need your psychoanalytical services, oh, yes, freshie. For sure. What do you think about and, that? Well, do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? Do you think what would what would be the most horrible per- thing that a person could say? Uh, By the way, there's roots to this, which I go on into in a second here. But do you ever do that? Do you know other people who do that? Do you even totally. know what I'm talking I, about? I, I I do that, and and for me, it's about a character,
1: right? So there's a character that I'll play sometimes, which is the worst person on earth. Right. And, and to me, giving voice to the absurd thing that the worst person on earth would say is a way of mocking that. Yeah. Right. So I don't think that that is being an asshole. I think that, I think that's giving voice to, and, and maybe not even the worst thing that a person would say, but the worst thing that anyone might think, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right. Let's take that. And then let's say that thing so that we can make fun of that thing. Yeah. And, and for me, I just rely on people to know, to know me, right. And to trust that I'm mm-hmm. fundamentally a good human, right. I'm not out to, 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 to get that. But if I say something that is absurdly crazy or absurdly mean that what I'm really doing is I'm saying, this is a part of humanity, right? This is something that I thought it. So I guarantee you other people have thought it. And mm-hmm. some people have actually said it. So let's give voice to that. Let's put it up there. And as a, as a comedian, you can kind of do that and sort of become the, become your own punching bag. Mm
2: Yeah.
0: And and nothing, nothing can be sacred, right? Like everything should be touchable, but also there are boundaries where you're crossing over into territory where you're telling someone else's story. In other words, you might tell humor, but it really isn't a narrative that happened to you. It's obvious that it's said from an outsider point of view. The way and that, that humor seems that... to be not not accepted as healthy humor, right? And I think we collectively agree as a society on
1: that. So the way that I would think about that, Bill, is that that everything can be joked about, but not everyone can joke about everything. Does that make no, sense? Right. Right. So totally. Race can racism can and absolutely should be joked about. That's oh. not something I can do.
0: No, right. right. A lot of times it has to be the person who's experienced that
1: trauma to
0: be it's able to the speak about
1: who's, it. who's walked that journey, right? So yeah. so everything, and I think that's where some, some, I think some people get, they get, they'll get into this like, well, we don't want to cancel or woke or whatever. And, and I think that they sort of, you sort of fail to realize that, you know, there are certain things that should be said, but maybe you're not the one to say them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and totally. And I think
1: is a, As a comic, you have to be aware of what, what are the, what are, cause you're, you don't want to, and also you don't want to steal other people's jokes, right? Like if (laughs) I don't want to, the the experience of being trans, for instance, is a very unique experience. I don't, I don't get to joke about that because that's not my experience, right? And if somebody, if someone was coming around and like pretending to be, to pretending to have grown up polygamist, I'd be like, what the hell dude? Like, why are you, that's mine. That's my weird humor. That's,
0: yeah. And I think it doesn't, it just doesn't hit. It's for you hit. to
1: do that. Yeah. It right? And, it, and it won't hit it. It feels inauthentic. Yeah. But yeah. if someone is, if someone is that person, that's why like, huh, you, you hear some people that be like, why is it okay for black people in black comics to say the N word? Right. Because they're black. Yeah. Right. They get to make fun of that word. That's yeah. their territory. Yeah. And, and so you have comics like Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, who can just, they, they can cut into that racism and they can attack it with humor i can't do that that's not my lane
0: no and i also think that any time any other race uses that word it's not it regardless of what someone else thinks it's not the same meaning yeah like there's not the same meaning behind it that doesn't make any sense one is one is talking about oneself or one's own group and one is outsider language regardless of how they use it
1: which is why I think that all everyone else, uh, all co- comics who are not Mormon, they can't say Mormon anymore. That's the M word. Only yeah. we get to. Yeah,
0: and then and then R F M. When you were talking about your humor being offensive to some, I'll just tell you. Like I've known you now. What was it? What do we say? It's seven years.
2: Yes, let's seven say seven years. Seven years let's we've known each together.
0: other. And uh, I really think your your humor when you're picking on something about humanity, you're making a joke about how humans do things. I can see why people find you offensive, but I think you're hilarious. And I think the secret is knowing you. I know where those jokes come from, like where they, it's not from a person who's trying to knock people down or or diminish them. You're really just trying to make fun of the human condition.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. I, th- I think so, and I'll tell you, um, it is amazing. People don't know because they say so much. They have no idea all the self-censorship that's going on in my yeah. head all the time. <clears throat> and I go, no, I'm not going to go there or I'm not going to go there or I'm not going to say that. And sometimes it's really funny, but I didn't say it. So after the show, I, I'm talking with Bill or Maven. I'm saying, I want credit for what I didn't say tonight. And then I tell him what it was that I was going to say. Do you ever do that? Oh, totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Also oh, by the, the way, here's the state.
2: source for it. Here's the source for it, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say this right now. Do you know who the church historian is? Right I'm now? Sure. Yes. Probably some dude named Turley. No, no, he got transferred over into oh. public relations. He was never the head of the church historian's office. He he did work as a church historian. He was a senior guy there, but he 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 transferred over to uh, what uh, public CPR. relations. And at public some point, relations, it's some relations.
0: At some point he becomes emeritus and then he just gets to retire and still get paid.
2: Right. Oh, that's right. awesome.
1: I love that for him.
2: And what I said about that, when that change happened, I said, yeah, he went from church historian to public relations. It was a lateral transfer. <laughs> that is, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, that's but the, same the church thing. historian now is his name is Kyle McKay and he was my mission companion in Japan. No way way. Mm-hmm. So we were, he was my first mission companion and we were together for like a month. And then I think he snuck outside and made a call to the mission president and said, Hey, I need a transfer here. But I was mm-hmm. with him for a month. And during that time, he taught me something about humor. He was very, very funny. He's a great guy. Okay. And he's just very funny. And one of the things that he did that was so dang funny is that when you said something nice to him or did something nice for him he wouldn't say thank you he would criticize you for not doing more (laughs) that's good (laughs) right it's just like you do something nice for him and he goes well where's this yeah you know or finding something in in fault. but but it was in a funny way you know what i mean so i i incorporated that from him
1: he's playing on this idea of entitlement right he's playing on this idea of oh hey i deserve more than this right yes and that's, they're sort of, they're sort of like self-deprecating humor, right? Which is, I'm, I'm less than I am. And then there's another type of humor, which is like self-aggrandizing humor, which is yes. I'm more than I am. Yes. And both of those things are funny.
2: And he did the self-aggrandizing humor all the way up to becoming a GA.
1: Well done for him, Kyle. Bravo. Brother Kyle.
2: Oh, he's great. And I'm just hoping because, you know, there's going to be a lot of openings coming up in the top 15 in the the near future just right. as a matter like, of statistics. Tomorrow. Yeah, as a matter of statistics, I'm hoping. I got my money I'm on actually, Kyle.
1: I'm excited about that Sorry. because when that happens, like when 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 uh, Nelson dies, I'm gonna challenge Oaks to a prophecy off because I, I would assert that I'm actually the true prophet of Mormonism. And uh, so I'm gonna challenge him to a prophecy off where I'll be like, look, we'll both make 10 prophecies about what'll happen in the next year. And whoever's the most right takes the cake.
2: It seems fair.
1: It does seem fair, right? It seems like a, like a great challenge. And then I'll just Google what will happen in the next year and say those 10 things. And Oaks will probably say some bullshit about porn shoulders and gay people. And, uh, uh, then I'll be in charge of $150 billion, which will be awesome.
2: That would be awesome. What would you do with it? <laughs> what would you do with 150? 100, I,
1: I would buy mountains of cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah, and then I would powder the slopes of of uh, Utah mountains with it, so that everyone who comes to ski in Utah is just skiing through trails of coke.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you see, I would try and benefit the church. I think that there would be bowling alleys in every ward building. Oh, that's fun. Just just two lanes, though, right? Like you wouldn't waste the space. There is no waste when you've got one hundred and seventy nine billion.
0: 179 yeah it's a little higher huh i kind of i kind of assumed that when they didn't want to speak about how high it was and they just said yeah i mean that's that's close
2: but you know why it is i want kyle mckay to become an apostle because i'm getting tired of saying that my former mission companion is the church historian
1: right you want to say (laughs) my former mission companion is the prophet yes yes that would Just, probably gain more clout for sure, mm-hmm. especially in the ex Mormon community, because we still are obsessed with status.
0: That would help your street cred,
2: RFM. Oh, absolutely! It's like uh, <laughs> Kyle and I are in the classic Trek episode "Mirror, Mirror." I'll tell you too, "Mirror, Mirror." I'm the Spock with the vul- with and I'm the Spock with the goatee. What is
1: what is what are you talking about? "Mirror, Mirror," Trek episode?
2: one of yeah, the star, star trek, trek episodes it was the a original TV show it didn't get a lot of play oh. a lot not a lot of people remember it do you it remember like that do you know about star trek
1: i do know about <laughs> star trek yes okay <laughs> yes.
0: well i the don't beard. know that spock beard was glued on with like
2: honey or something it was spock well, has spirit beard? gum. <laughs> probably probably <spirit> gum. <laughs> i know so that, that sounds actually, funny that's actually but that's what it's called
1: funny, funny... There's a pretty funny uh Mormon joke in one of the Star Trek movies. Do you remember the Star Trek movie where they go back in time to get whales?
2: Star to Trek save 4. The- Journey Home. Does
1: that 4? have anything to do with SeaWorld?
2: Is it Journey uh, Home Voyage Home? Was it connected? I
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I think they went to they went to SeaWorld. A futuristic SeaWorld comes to blast <laughs> the earth.
2: Kipton the the whales here.
1: Yeah, anyway, and uh, at one point, William Shatner is like leans over to this guy, to this girl that they were like, getting a ride. It's like 1980 and they're getting a ride from this girl and Spock's mm-hmm. being Spock. And he leans in and he yeah. says, sorry about my buddy. He did a little too much LDS back in the, yeah, back in, back in the 70s.
2: <laughs> right. And here's, here's Scotty from that picture where he goes to a computer, right? It was very funny because it was back in 1986 when it came out. This is supposed to be my, um, here you go, right? My mouse, I can only get it so far from the uh, the place because it's kind of attached and he goes to this computer and he's talking to it and he's like, computer, computer. And then he and then the guy says, use this mouse and he picks it up because they've gone back in time. Right. He picks it up. Yeah. He goes, computer, <laughs> computer. The past is a foreign country, RFM. They do things differently there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a great, great movie. And I'm sure Rebecca Biblioteca is really enjoying the heck out of this part because she does memes. She does ex-Mormon Star Trek memes. And I think it's, um, oh, I can't remember the name for it. She'll say it and you can put it up. Uh, Star Trexmo. I think it's Star Trexmo.
1: Star Trexmo? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, she's funny. And she does these Is she memes. Instagram? Where do I find her?
2: Um, well. <laughs> Look up the yeah, um,
0: YouTube channel, uh,
2: Mormon. By the way, I just censored myself and I'm glad I did.
1: I'm glad you did too. Trexmo trexmo that's hilarious i'll let
2: everybody else imagine what i was going to say in response to where do you find her who
0: are the worst who's the worst people in the star trek series who are the
2: worst villains well the worst actors uh just flood the screen when you get to next generation
0: yeah see i disagree with you i hate the original series <laughs> i tried watching
2: it it She's was saying facebook it's horrible what's so that horrible yes Trek's well
1: on facebook sweet
0: Oh, I forget what I was going to say. We went off and I know mirror mirror. I don't even uh, know where we
1: are anymore. We're on Star Trek.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Um, Tell me this. What's the worst thing that happened to you again, PG 13, but what's the worst thing that happened to you in being in a polygamous group? Like is there ways in which like we wouldn't think about that kind of shame happens or trauma occurs or.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was, um, I was labor trafficked for 10 years, um, yeah. where we didn't like the, the, we, we didn't attend school. And so we just like, my family had a bakery and we just but from the time I was eight to 18, that was my, that's what I did is I just worked in the bakery.
0: How did and you educate that- yourself as that was like? How did you educate your, like you're a smart guy. I I know your story. Cause again, I've spent time with you behind the scenes, but, yeah, um, Knowing your life, like tell the audience how you still figured out how to learn things and take in information. And
1: yeah, I was, I was, um, I was always really curious. I learned how to read very early. Um, and then I just, I was just in some ways, I was lucky because I had a, I had a mom that kind of recognized that and supported it, even though there was some pressure not to. So she would, um, you know, we were pretty ostracized from our community there was, there weren't a lot of opportunities to integrate or to really go and be outside of where we were, right? We're on this little isolated community. Um, but one of the things that my mom did is that she recognized that I was, I liked to read and that I was curious. And so she would regular, she would always take me into the library and she would let me check out any books that I wanted to. Oh. And even when my dad would be like, Hey, I don't want Ben to read books that I haven't read that I haven't approved of. She, she didn't resist my dad in a lot, but in that she said, no, I'm going to let like, like, he will be, he will, he will starve. Like his brain will starve. If we do that, let him read whatever he wants to. And so I just kind of, kind of gobbled it up. And that's partially just because life on a compound is pretty boring. There's not a lot going on. And so it's sort of a, you know, reading and, and learning that was sort of an escape from a pretty dreary and often painful life.
0: Do you think your mom sensed that that was a way out? in other words, she, she recognized you were smart. She recognized that you could do something with your brain and, uh, that she wanted I, I to cut. Of-
1: I don't know. Cause I, you know, she, she was pretty heartbroken when I did, when I did decide to leave. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I think that in some ways, I think in some ways, uh, she is, and I think my dad too, even are. They're, they're proud of me even though they don't like where I ended up. Yeah so there's something about having there's something about having a a, a child that is you know um, intelligent and and you know and and funny and 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 curious that sort of makes you feel proud and good even if it doesn't quite end up the way that you wanted it to.
0: Mm. yeah, that's really cool. And, and uh, in terms of like being profound like that's that's the human experience it really is, um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the, not the, the working all the time. I mean, you're just a kid and you're basically you want you're you understand your society to be telling you that you, if the expectation is you work like a grown adult.
1: Right. I work. I mean, I was working, I was working 16 hour days when I was 13. Right. Yeah. And, um and, and that's problematic. Like I, I did the math one time. I, I lost, um, I lost about, so in terms of like the amount of sleep that a teenager is supposed to get, I got about a third of that because I was just working so much. And so that affects you physically, that affects you mentally. Um, I And then there's also just the the sort of the programming that goes into why who you are for, right? Why do I exist? Do I exist because I matter and there's something about me that wants to unfold and express itself in the world? Or do I exist to serve and, and be sort of disposable for the people around me? And right. that's really, I think that the most damaging thing about um, something like labor trafficking is that really what it teaches you is that your work is not for you, right? Mm. Your, mm. your effort, your, your drive, that is, that is not for you. That is for your family. It's for your cause. It's for God or, or whatever. And, um, and that, takes a lot, uh, to work through, right. To kind of take that power back and be like, no, actually I exist for me first and foremost, I exist for me. And then once I exist for me, then I can exist for other people. But if I don't exist for me first, then I have no substance. I don't, I'm not actually here. Hmm. Ben, when did you find time to read? Um, I would uh I would kind of sneak it in um when we would be uh like I would go delivering to Yellowstone with we we kind of take the bread and we'd we'd go and deliver it to Yellowstone. So I'd read while we were driving. Um I would I would stay up late <laughs> after work and, and read. Um uh eventually I found out audiobooks. So sometimes I would just listen to stuff while I was working and um I just kind of squeezed it in when I could.
2: What was the most impactful thing you remember reading as a child?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um I think the most impactful um the most impactful book that I remember reading was actually War and Peace. I read War <laughs> and Peace when I was Excuse me. You read War and Peace as a child? I did. I, I read War and Peace when I was like uh 15 or 16. Oh, my and, gosh.
2: Talk about precocious.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I was doing about,
0: like where the wet, red fern grows, you know, you
1: know the world the hand. world I was in was pretty boring. Um, and that that book is one is is just the scope of it. Right. It's so much big. It was so much bigger than the world that I was in. And mm-hmm. it just gave me the sense of kind of wonder. Right. It gave me this sense of there's something out there that is bigger than this narrative that I'm in currently than this story that I'm in currently, um, than all of these things. I'm going to come and see hi in just a second. Yeah.
2: He's lying to you. He's never going to come and see you.
1: <laughs> one of my uncles just <laughs> came in and flipped me off. I want to go. in back. <laughs> um, yeah. It kind of gave me this, this sense of, um, One of the things that I I feel like is maybe has been the most, one of the most useful ways of looking at the world that's kind of helped me step out of a pretty isolated worldview is that I don't view the outside world as dangerous. I view it with a sense of wonder. So I'm not Mm. scared of some of, of being part of something that's bigger than me. I'm not scared of feeling like maybe I don't know everything and, 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 reading something that just as vast and sweeping and totally not Mormonism as war and peace. Mm -hmm. It kind of gave me the sense of, Oh, there's the, the the people outside the the things outside of this, this world, you can actually be delightful and profound that there's wisdom. That's deeper than this thing that I was taught, right? That, Mm -hmm. That the power and the wisdom and the beauty of humanity is actually far more deep than Mormonism, right? Mormonism, Mormonism kind of claims to be, the end all, the be all, the best thing ever, and it's actually incredibly shallow, right? Mormonism is incredibly yeah. fake. It's incredibly little. It's so young, and um, and being able to sort of see Mormonism in the context of everything else, it allows you to kind of get out of it. I think a little more, a little more effectively.
2: It it, it is yeah. resonates so much with me because what you did in your teens, I did in my fifties. Mm. and i hate you for it mm. by the way by the way a little known fact is that leo Tol- tolstoy's original title for that book was going to be war what is it good for really absolutely it nothing beautiful. absolutely mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> that's yeah, a seinfeld that's reference i didn't expect huh. you to get it uh, i thought wait have you ever watched any seinfeld toys.
1: episodes you know, I watched I watched my first episode of Seinfeld like uh about a year ago. Um, I've I have i have got a couple of, like on my TikTok. I you know on my TikTok, one of the things I do is I'll I'll watch things or listen to things that I've never listened before or watched before, and then I'll respond to them. So I'm responding mm-hmm. to a couple of like the first like three or four episodes of Seinfeld. Um, and it was it was pretty funny. I was pretty uh at, at first I was a little bit I didn't understand the way that the, sh- the show worked. And so I was like, mm-hmm. I'm watching this show. And then all of a sudden he's doing stand-up. And I was, I'm like, why is Jerry doing si- stand-up? What What is happening? Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of took me a little bit to figure out what the, what the structure of the story of the show was.
2: Right. Well, this is a hugely successful series. And I think it was on Thursday nights because Friday throughout America, uh, it was water cooler conversation the following day. Everybody was talking about what happened on Seinfeld the night before. Mm -hmm. And it has famously been described by Jerry Seinfeld as a show that's about nothing. About nothing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In fact, I think, I think like three, like when I'm like two or three episodes in on my, I'm like, I'm just like talking to my, to my phone. And I'm like, I just ask everyone. I'm like, you guys, I don't understand what this show is about. Like, what is this about? It seems like it's about nothing. And then, um, and then everyone's like, That's exactly right. That's the whole point of it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I get it. A show about nothing. That's fun. Yeah.
0: I want to ask you um, where, because if you don't mind, generally we'll take a couple of phone calls and I don't know if, because it's a comedian, rather than like, we're going over like a history topic or something. So I don't know if any calls will come in, but the phone lines are open. We'd love to take a few phone calls. But um, where are your shows at going forward? Where do you, uh, where are your upcoming dates that people could, Come and see you Ben hmm.
1: yeah so going going forward I am uh, I perform most commonly at, at wise guys in Utah so there's there's a wise guys in uh like a couple locations in northern Utah. I don't have any dates currently I'm working with the uh, with the owner to get some on this on the schedule probably in the next month or two I'll have something but if people want to check out more of me um the Fresh King Benjamin on YouTube and I've got my my special there that's the best place to go
2: awesome. And let me ask the first question before we get to people. By the way, no calls tonight about whether Joseph Smith practiced polygamy, please. Yeah, please. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> That's just gonna be off limits tonight. Just tonight. No, okay.
0: no more of Bill's lies, I guess, too, if they're gonna be that that minuscule.
2: Why is it the fresh King Benjamin? What's fresh about you? Did you answer that before? Because I think I asked you the question, but I'm not sure we, I got a straight answer. We did, yeah. Yeah. The 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 fresh the fresh is that
1: I'm fresh right that i'm i'm new to this world like everything like the seinfeld i've never i i before before uh, a year ago i hadn't seen seinfeld mhm so i'm i'm here to kind of offer a fresh perspective
2: you're newly born into this world i now, whatever I really, age you are
1: how old are you i uh, i just turned
2: 34 okay wow
0: you're using you're being sheltered maybe at a younger age as a selling point which i really like like there's a lot totally. of there's yeah. a lot of stuff there. That's
1: I mean, really cause cool. if you think about it, like what, what that does is everyone there. And this is, this is also part of one of the, the ways that I'm just oriented towards life is, um, so many people, there's so much, I, I was raised and Mormonism does this and especially polygamy. I was raised with this idea that everything in the outside world was wicked and evil. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that everything out here is actually delightful and awesome. And so my, one of my favorite things to do is to try new things for the first time, foods, drinks, experiences, movies, shows lit like, uh, music. And so, and, and that there's something about, I think that, I think that our age right now, I think that a lot of us are feeling pretty cynical. I think a lot of us are feeling kind of like, like nothing is really that great. Cause a lot of things are not that great. And I think that that prevents us from seeing all of the delightful things that we have. Right. Like we get to live in a world where, where there's a show called Seinfeld, right. We get to live in, we get to experience Nirvana. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. And, um, and being able to kind of show people how, what we already have is pretty awesome. It kind of makes, it makes me happy. It, It makes me, and I think that we could be, we could be a lot more grateful for what we have than we are.
2: We also get to see a show called Fresh Prince of Bel Air.
1: I've heard about this show, and I I actually haven't seen it, so that's on my list. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check that one out.
2: Well, it's the first thing I thought of. That's what I thought you were riffing on with your your name, your title.
1: I I am I am riffing off that, but it's not because I've seen it. It's because a friend of mine suggested that. So they were like, personal question,
2: be- Ben, ready?
1: Yeah, love it. Do you ever Go. feel Cheated. Do I ever feel cheated? Ooh, that's such a great question. Yes, a hundred percent. I don't think that there is, and I actually think that's a really common experience for people who grow up in cults, because there are just things that I would have done differently had I had I known that it was okay. So I definitely do feel like and. Like, I feel like I was cheated because I was cheated, right? I was cheated out of a, out of a typical childhood. I was cheated out of a typical adolescence, but I haven't stopped at just feeling cheated. What I've said is because I feel cheated, therefore now I will do the things that I want to do. I will have the experience that the experiences that I want to have. I will go and do the things, not that the Lord has commanded me, but that I want to do, and I'll do them without shame, without guilt and just the pure delight of doing them so that um, so that I don't feel cheated because uh, I don't want to go through life feeling like I didn't get to live the life that I wanted to because, because I was lied to when I was a kid.
0: Yeah. And that doesn't seem fair, does it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It Uh, doesn't. And, And you know, there's that's, I think that is the reality. Like when you actually think about what Mormonism is and what Mormonism has done to the people who were a part of it, like my family has been part of Mormonism for almost 200 years. My ancestor Ebenezer Brown joined the LDS Church, joined Mormonism in 1835, which was like something like eight, 189 years ago.
0: He come. He came in just a little bit before that Kirtland Safety Society Bank. I mean, he he got right. in at the at the he high like, moment. He, he got <laughs> in. He got in. Feet. You know,
1: he got in before the MLM really took off. You know.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. And, before things went south. Like six months later, everybody's walking the other
1: direction everybody's bailing. Right. Yeah. And, and here, the reality is that that affects me. Right. Yeah. That's not just that's generations of brainwashing of abuse of extortion. Right. Of course that affects me. Of course that affects all of us. And I think that we, there's, there's something that people, when people leave the church and people, the, the people who stay in, they, they sort of want to they want to take that from from the people who leave. Then they want to say, "Don't feel cheated. If you feel cheated, that's like a no." And I want to say, if you feel cheated because you were involved in a cult, that is how you should feel yeah, because right. you were cheated, you were lied to, you were extorted, yeah. and you were exploited. Yeah, so it's very know. natural totally. to feel. It's very healthy actually to feel cheated. Don't stay there though, right? Yeah. Use that feeling as fuel to go do the life, to go do the things that you want to do, to go live the life that you want to live. Yeah. Because that's really the opportunity that you have is that now, I think that, I think that everyone who was raised Mormon and has, has, has deconstructed that has actually been gifted with an amazing opportunity. If they'll see it that way, which Mm -hmm. is that they get the opportunity to decide and to choose as adults, What kind of life they want to have? What kinds Mm -hmm. of experiences do you want to have? Do you want to do, do you want to try, you know, do you want to experiment sexually? Do you want to experiment with drugs? Do you want to experiment with different lifestyles? Do you want to travel? Do you want to read? What are the things like, what is the part of the thing inside of you? That's just like, ah, I wish I could have done this. Mm -hmm. Go do that thing. You can do that thing. There's a place somewhere in the world where you can do that thing. Yeah. Go
0: do it. Be your weird self. Everybody's weird
1: be your weird self. Everybody's yeah. weird.
0: Right? Hey, somebody in the audience is asking who your favorite comedians are. Who mm-hmm. are your favorite love... jokesters?
1: Yeah. So my, my top three are, um, Dave Chappelle, uh, who is the goat. He's, he is He's a God among men. Yeah. Um, and then I also really love, uh, a lady named Michelle Wolf, who mm-hmm. is, yeah. uh, just hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, my third would probably be, uh, there's this guy, um, I'm blanking on his name right now. He, but he, Oh, Sam Morrill. He's like a newer, he's mm-hmm. a Jewish Come comedian out of New York and he's kind of newer. Um, but he's, he's hysterical. He's really funny.
0: Yeah. Uh, RFM. How about you? Who's your favorite? Say your favorite three comedians. You said I you have named no some
2: idea because I'm so not up on this current comedian. Stand- name Stand- name someone from the comedy. Yeah, name
0: some of the ones from the past, though. Name name your favorite three comedians. People in the audience, some of the folks are gonna know those ones.
2: Oh my gosh, this is so difficult for me. I'm sorry if you talk movies. Um, I think that uh, I think Steve Allen is very very funny, yeah, and highly intelligent, and that fuels that. Uh, I hated I hated George Carlin because he was so. You're gonna say Mormon. Brian Regan because because he was so <laughs> not Mormon. He said, I mean. One of his famous routines, one of his early famous routines, by the way, Ben, was the seven words you can't say on radio. <laughs>
0: I think we did two of them tonight. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, I think we did. So, so he was pushing that. He was pushing that. that. But now I find him absolutely hysterical because now I've let go of all the things in Mormonism that made it so I was not permitted to appreciate mm. how funny he was. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, think, I think he's very funny. And um, gosh, you know, I got to tell you, Bill Cosby, when I was a kid, and this is back in the early yeah. 70s, in 1970, and we had his albums, and we would play those albums over and over and yeah. over again until yeah. we had every word of every routine memorized, including the one that was the full side. One full side of one of those LPs was one thing, and it was called, to my brother, Russell, with whom I slept. <laughs> and it's all about him being a brother and a big brother and Russell and just all the crap that happens between a big brother and a little brother uh, and dad coming in and disciplining them when they get out of line during the night. Isn't that a
0: weird thing about isn't that a weird thing about people where, you know, Michael Jackson's another one who it's mm-hmm. you know alleged, but did some really horrible things, right? Mm, yeah. And, and yet yeah. when a Michael Jackson song comes on, like there's still an ability, I think in most of us to appreciate the music while having deep disdain for the humanity of the person who made really unhealthy choices and choices and hurt people. I think well, so. Ben, Ben,
2: Ben, I would, ben,
1: I, would ben. I would say it's not even about, it's not even about having disdain for their humanity, right? It's about, cause I, I think that we, I think that you can appreciate and value art and hold the artists accountable. Yeah. Right. So, so I can appreciate Michael Jackson. I can, I can recognize that Michael Jackson artistically was a genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can also say, and as a, human, you can't exactly negate that, can you? He, we need to, help, like, we need to hold, in fact, I think if we, if you can only, if, if we can't admire the art, we can't hold the artist accountable. Right. Because we have to be able to say, we, even the geniuses need to be held accountable. Right. It doesn't matter that Michael Jackson or Bill Cosby are these artistic geniuses. We mm-hmm. still need to hold them accountable to standards of. Purity. Oh, sure,
2: absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Benjamin. By the way, um, do you know why Michael Jackson likes twenty-seven-year-olds?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That made, me,
0: that made me really uncomfortable.
1: That's a really <laughs> good joke. <laughs> I
2: all didn't all even have to say tonight. the punchline, so we didn't well, get uh, canceled.
0: Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's of funny. all the things said tonight, that one made me the most uncomfortable. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got more. Wow, yeah, I imagine. Oh,
1: that's good. That's a good um,
2: joke. We're couple of minutes
0: here away. I just want to give you a chance maybe to plug your stuff one more time. If we usually end the show at right around eight o'clock or so, unless we go long, which is a lot of weeks, but the goal is always to try to end around then uh, tell folks who are listening, by the way, I, I laughed so much tonight. I really enjoyed it. Great conversation.
1: Yeah, um, I did. I, did too. I appreciate the, 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 um, the convo. Yeah. So find yeah. me on, on TikTok and Instagram at the fresh King Benjamin and on YouTube. Um, uh, the Fresh King Benjamin. I've got my special on uh, YouTube right now. It's called the Spring Prophecy of the Fresh Fresh King Benjamin. And it's an hour of just really great, or the members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Ex-Mormon stand up.
0: There's a short, yeah. We play a little soundbite here to give people a tease.
1: Yeah, let's do it. It doesn't bode well for for the Mormons or the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) I think that when people tell you that they want to be called something, that you should call them that thing. Right? Right? So I've decided I'll stop calling them Mormons as soon as they call people they them. <laughs> it's easier to go from he to she, like that's a smaller ask for me. Because I like you were a he and now you want to be a she? He, she, see, super easy, I just did it. But if, you, if I used to call you Mormon, <laughs> and you're telling me now you want me to call you a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? i'm not saying that i won't do it i will but it's just a little bit bigger ask than the queers are making <laughs> oh
0: like super hilarious i i, I, I think like you're just one. so funny so anyway i just want folks to, be able to find where you're at and we'll put the show yeah. link in the show notes as well yeah yeah the this thing- really
2: funny line right after that part that you clipped there that i really liked when you said because there's 20 of them
0: because there's <laughs> 20 of them he's filling in the void for his. <laughs> uh, I, and I only say this because you've done an episode on it, RFM. But like... What what did I do an episode on? You did an episode titled The Day I Got Molested or something. You, you had an episode on your podcast where you, you talk about your... The time I got molested as a kid?
2: Yeah. Well, I did the whole stand-up routine earlier this year about the time I killed my mom's yeah. dog.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again allowed to speak from places where you've experienced the thing that you make fun of.
2: And I right. decided to do that because I had never processed that. I have felt bad about that for yeah. 40, <laughs> 50 years. He killed, and he killed his mom's dog. <laughs> you killed your mom's dog. That's hilarious. In my defense, it was a Pekinese. <laughs> was it a bitch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did a half an hour on this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when- I,
1: all I'll say is that every Pekingese yeah. deserves to be killed. So you did the world a favor. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Yes.
0: Ben, thanks so much for giving us uh, some of your time tonight. And I hope people yeah. check you out. It's such good. It's good stand up. You know, it's good Mormon jokes, but it's good stand up just for the sake of stand up. It's
1: mm. it's really I appreciate great, that. So. Thanks, Thanks, Bill. Thanks, RFM. Had a fun time hanging out with you guys.
0: Yeah, hopefully our our episodes get banned, but otherwise, uh, I think we're good.
2: <laughs> it was nice getting to meet you. By the way, if you want to use that Michael Jackson joke in a future up routine, I only ask for attribution.
1: Perfect. At the beginning. I'll just say, I didn't make up this joke. He did. So so go attack
2: Absolutely. Him. <laughs> this is a joke also, I heard he from RFM, so dog. if you want to go stone somebody, I'll give you yeah. his address. <laughs>
1: uh, I love it.
2: Okay, have a great night,
0: Ben.
1: Cool, thanks, guys. Talk later. Bye-bye.